0: Excited to welcome University of Alabama Birmingham head coach Randy Norton to the basketball podcast. Norton has guided UAB to at least 15 wins in seven of the last eight seasons. From 2017 to 2020, he led UAB to three consecutive 20-win seasons for the first time in school history. He led UAB to its first CUSA regular season title in 2017-18. Norton was named the 2017-18 CUSA Coach of the Year after leading the Blazers to a record-setting 27-7 overall record and a 13-1 conference record. Randy, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. Hey, great to be here, Chris be wonderful to talk to you. Uh, Great success uh, through all your coaching journeys. And, uh, you know, one question that you raised in some clinic notes that I saw, which I really wanted to talk about is this question of how do you get kids, players to want to work out on their own outside of practice?
1: Well, you know, I can uh, talk about it from being a high school boys coach uh, for 20 years, and now a division one women's coach for 20 years. That's a lot of years. But When I think back to when I first started coaching high school boys, you're know, you dealing with multi-sport athletes, kids that, that play football, kids that play baseball. And so I think you have to create an environment where they're excited to be a part of your program. And whether it's at the college level or the high school level, I think it all goes back to shared experiences. So the more shared experiences you can have with your players, And, uh, you know, and relationships, I think you create a culture where they want to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, at the high school level, uh, you know, and I know it's different in every state, but when I was coaching high school boys, uh, we would load them up in vans and take them to team camps and, you know, play dates, those kind of things in the summertime, uh, we would have open gyms, the coaches would play with the players. And so, Uh, You just created an atmosphere that they wanted to be a part of. Um, And then once you do that, then it's all about, you know, like what are things we want to accomplish as a team? Uh, Same thing at the college level. It's, again, it goes back to shared experiences, creating an environment that kids want to be a part of. I think it goes back to, I think sometimes coaches lose sight of that. It's supposed to be fun, you know, and I realize at our level, you know we we're paid to win, but I still think that uh, if if you create a culture where it's fun, they want to be a part of, you create shared experiences.
0: I just truly believe that winning will take care of itself. Well, I love that, and I, I and I want to talk more about some of the environments that you create at UAB. But just coming back and piggybacking on that one thing you said about it being fun. Fun is defined differently at different ages, isn't it, as you move up the competitive chain, so to speak. So talk a little bit about how fun gets incorporated at your level.
1: So at at our level, at the college level, what we talk to them about fun is it's fun's not like uh, being at a picnic or a social event. The fun is competing. The fun is uh, going through the grind together and those shared experiences, the good times, the bad times. That's the fun part. And it's such a small window as an athlete, and we talk to our players about this all the time at UAB, that your window, your opportunity to play basketball and be a part of a team is is so small. And it can be over at any time with injuries, ACLs, things like that. So that's the fun that we talk about at the college level. It's just the shared
0: experiences of going through it together. And that makes sense. And, uh, you know, another part of it is the environment you create in practice. And one of the things I saw in some of your practice notes was making a goal to say two positive things per minute, two hour in a two hour practice, which comes out to 240 positive things. I love that you broke down the math for us. But this is important, too, isn't it? It, it is. And um, I've, I've always been that way. I've, I've
1: always tried to be a, a, a positive coach. Um, I don't think you can be fake positive, but I think you can as a coach, we want to look for things in a practice that we can compliment players on. I think uh, human nature is we all respond uh, better to uh, when people tell us we're doing something good. And and so we try to do that. And lots of high fives. Um, I realized during COVID that got changed a little bit. But I remember reading an article about uh, Steve Nash and that, in a typical practice or a game, he would have over 200 high fives or where he touched another player, you know? And, uh, and so as a coach, I think we can do the same thing. Um, I've always believed that, you know, you want to be loud when you praise and when you're correcting you're soft as far as when you correct. And, and I think that we're always teaching, we're always holding kids accountable but I think that throughout a practice, we want to high five. We want to be positive. You know, we talk to our players a lot uh, that we want a high energy practice and that it can't just be one or two people. It's got to be the coaching staff. It's got to be all 15 players. And so we try to create that, you know, a
0: championship practice in an environment every single day. With that Talking about the environment, you're talking about communication, but you're talking about meaningful communication. And that's where, you know, these intentional positive comments, but also if you're talking within your team, you're talking about meaningful conversation. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Because I think that's the problem a little bit as we say all oh, practice got to have a lot of talk. But no, they don't have to have a lot of talk. They have to have a lot of useful talk and intentional talk.
1: Right. So from the the minute that our players take the floor, there's the communication takes place. So um I realize when kids shoot on their own, they're not communicating and calling each other's names, but we set the tone as soon as they take the floor uh with the with the communication aspect. And then I just think that I go back to I I'm a former educator. And so I look at myself as a teacher. And so the the practice, the court is my classroom. And so I feel like that whether I was teaching health or PE, uh, it's the same thing in practice. And so, you know, it's not wasted talk. It's, it's teaching, it's correcting. Um, One of the things that we talked to our team about, if I'm correcting Chris, I'm correcting the whole team and that you can't take anything personal, that it's, it's a teaching environment. And once your kids understand that they trust you and, uh, they don't take it personal. I think so so many kids nowadays w- when you coach them they feel like you're being critical. So once you can get them to understand that we're not criticizing you, we're teaching you and we're teaching the rest of the team through you. And when you do that, um
0: I just think that you get so much more out of your practices. You absolutely do and you know even going further is that when you when you do want your players to talk, you want them to give information to each other that is useful. For example, I've always said that saying ball, 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 which I know you said too, it's it's useless information. It doesn't tell – if you don't know where the ball is on defense, that's a bigger problem. So that's not the information we want to give players, right?
1: Right, correct. So we actually will sometimes do role playing depend depending on our team and, and where they're at um, as far as talk. So meaningful communication to us is like when you say ball, ball, ball. It's like, uh, Chris, you've got ball. Um, Randy, 24 is a shooter. We're we're shading, you know. So it's like specific communication. Because a lot of times coaches say, We need more talk. You guys got to talk. Well, a lot of times kids don't talk because they're not sure what to say. So you've got to teach them the things that they want to talk about. So if we're if you're playing a specific uh ball screen defense, maybe we're icing on the wing. So as I'm communicating with my teammates, I'm communicating, we're icing 24. Um, You know, we've got different calls for our ball screen defense. But so you're communicating those things. We're gold on two. We're gold on two. Make sure you get under, you know. And so I think you got to be specific with your talk. But it's something you have to practice. You can't just as a coach say, hey, we need more talk. Because kids are looking at it like, well, coach, I'm not really sure what to say. And I'm sure uh, most coaches in college deal with this. A lot of times high school kids will come in. And they don't talk. They're afraid to use their voices. And so I think it really helps them and gives them confidence when we explain certain
0: things to talk about. And then they get more confident with their talk. That's such a great point. I'm not sure they don't want to talk. It's just, they don't know what to say and they're not confident about what to say. So you giving them that confidence is so important. And uh, this isn't just for the players. This is for you as the coach too. So can you give an example, maybe for you in a timeout, how you would be more meaningful with your comment, uh, with your communication?
1: Well, I'm I'm glad you brought up timeouts. Cause I think timeouts are really key for coaches. I think, um, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember who said this, but, um, you can, as a coach, you can uh, help your team with 10 points if you use your timeouts correctly. Because so many times, you know, players, coaches, we talk about next play, you know, next play. And a lot of times coaches waste their timeout going in and all they're doing is screaming and yelling, but they're not correcting, you know. So as a coach, we got to have a next play mentality too. So when I step into the huddle, I want to talk about, okay, defensively transition. We're not getting back. We're not getting the ball stopped. Uh, So R1 and 2 are supposed to get back. And so when they drop back, R1 is supposed to direct who's got the ball. If they don't take the ball, it's the one man's job to tell who has the basketball. And so as a coach, when I step in, I'm going to talk defense, specifically what we need to do. Same thing offensively. I think there is times in a timeout where you have to amp it up a little bit if you feel like your kids are flat. But most of the time, uh, you know, we've been pretty fortunate. We don't have to coach effort. So when I step into a huddle, I don't want to waste my time, uh, you know, screaming and yelling. I want to step in.
0: I want to correct, teach. And what are we going to do next to fix things? Well, I love this. And uh, you add so much value to the conversation with so many different things you've said. But the one also that I want people to note is that you said, say a name, for example, Chris, you know, you're smothering on this play. And adding the name to it makes it more powerful because the person knows who you're talking about. And too much, too much generality in coaching takes away the impact of the communication, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. So we ask our kids, uh, we call it ATD, attention to details. So if we want our players to play with attention to details as coaches, we got be to be the same way. And again, it goes back to teaching. I mean, when you're in the classroom teaching, if you're not specific, if you're not direct, uh, the the kids aren't going to retain the information. So same thing on the basketball court and huddle. We have to be specific. we got to be
0: direct. And we've got to teach. And then that next play part, I mean, it's so important. I mean, we spend so much time wasting time as coaches on stuff that already happened that we can't change anyways. And just focusing on what we can do now to obviously improve or change or do something different. So important. And, uh, you know, that, th- that is something that you have to train. Have you ever recorded yourself in timeouts and practice, etc.?
1: You know, I really haven't only when they mic me up for a particular game or sometimes a couple of times a year, they'll mic me up for practice, but, um, I think I'm very aware of what I'm saying in timeouts and games. I've been doing it a long time and uh, I try to uh, really uh, visualize what I want to say, how I want to say it with my tonality, just like we ask our players to visualize and uh, role play how they're going to react to certain situations. Uh, We talk to our kids instead of reacting, let's respond a certain way. Well, I think as coaches, we have to know how we want to respond. That's going to help our players move on to the next play. Um, And ranting and raving is not helping your players get ready for the next play. I think as coaches, as parents, um, we got to be fixers. How are we going to fix it? OK, I can rant and rave about what's happened, but that's not going to do any. That's not helping my players. I got to help them move on to the next play and say, OK, here's what we're going to do moving forward. If we're not doing what we need to do on defense, my job as a coach is to help our team fix it and give them a, a plan how we're going to go out there. Next play, and we're going to fix it this way.
0: I love this. I've been sharing this with coaches, like telling someone, oh, make the layup or telling someone set a better screen, like, again, they're not trying to miss the layup. You know, they are trying to set a better screen, but you didn't give them any information about what that actually means or what that looks like. And you said that about communication. You got to tell them what to say. And that's all part of this, isn't it? It, it is. It's communication is uh,
1: to, very important to our program. But I I think anything in life that you do, you've got to be able to communicate And communicating is not wasted words. Communicating
0: is being very specific on what you want to have happen well in communication uh obviously important in your program and uh you know i can see it on all the phrasing the terminology all the stuff that uh, you provide for your players i can tell the communication is so important and one particular area is attitude which is important as we know but i just love some of the phrasing that you've come up with that helps connect it for players and one of them i want to share is is if you needed heart surgery do you want an undisciplined sloppy surgeon? or a d- discipline-precise one. Doesn't that just hit home right away about what you mean? <laughs> well, it does, and I think it really resonates with players because, you
1: know, whether it's your, your, your blobs, your slobs, or entries, or setting screens, you know, when when there's mistakes and they're not paying attention to details, I'll just stop and say, okay, so right now you're playing basketball, and we're asking you to to run a certain play. And if and you're not executing it. And I want to ask you something. If you have a surgeon and you're going in for heart surgery, do you want that player to have attention or that doctor to have attention to details like you are right now? And they're like, Well, no. And I said, Well, as coaches, that's what we're asking out of you. I want, I want you to understand, I want attention to details. I need you to execute. Um, and I think it, again, the teaching part of it is I think what I tell my players is I'm going to be very patient with them when I'm teaching. I want them to ask questions. If they don't understand, I want them to raise their hand and say, coach, I don't understand. And I'm, I, I'm as patient of anybody out there, but I do tell them now, once we've done that and you say you don't have questions, you understand, you better execute. And that's where I'm not patient. And so I think again, we got to teach it. We got to make sure they understand but once they say that, then we got to hold them accountable. And it goes back to whether it's a doctor or a pilot. We we all, I know I, when I'm flying, I want to know my, I've got to confident in my pilot that he's going to execute the flight plan and land us safely. And so I when you share that with players, they smile because
0: they're they're like, they get it. Yeah. It really connects things for them. And, yeah. you know, the other thing I love is that, uh, you know, we talk about mental toughness and coaching as a cliche almost, yeah. um, and for our players. And I love how you bring it to life with, uh, not just, you know, words, but with explanations that help connect it for them just like we talked about with that precision part. Can you talk a little bit about mental toughness?
1: Well, I just, you know, when we talk about mental toughness, I think so many people think that, um, they relate it to, uh, fighting, uh, cussing, acting like you're a really tough person. We just talked about this yesterday. Um, we had an exhibition game last night, and the flu's going through our team. And uh, we had some kids that hadn't practiced. We've got kids that are out. But i just talking about toughness is, is, is being mentally tough, and regardless of your circumstances, though you're able to still go out and give your absolute best and to me toughness is is where uh, you're able to execute and perform to the best of your ability regardless of your circumstances and we talk a lot about when you give your best it's going to look different on different days like if i've got a if if i'm sick and i've been throwing up my giving my best might be different than when i feel 100% healthy but that's mental toughness being able to to perform and execute to the best of your ability on that day, regardless
0: of your circumstances. And, and to me, I mean, that's that's really it. Is It's not just, again, giving it words, but how you connect it in practice to them also being individually successful and the team being successful. And I imagine you do a lot of time doing that too, where you go, okay, that is mental toughness and that'll help us be better. Exactly. And, you know, and a lot of times we'll relate
1: it to uh, winning plays, um, taking charges, OK, um, going after loose basketballs, uh, you know, a great box out. Maybe you didn't get the rebound, but because of your great box out or effort, uh, you know, it's those little things throughout a game or a practice that show toughness, Um popping up after a charge and and, and hustling down and, and getting a steal. Or another one that we talked about is, you know, you're going to have turnovers. In the game of basketball, as we all know, it, you're not going to play it perfect. There's going to be breakdowns. But if you have a turnover, the toughness part is I'm going to be the first player back and make a play, you know, versus – stopping, hanging your head. To me, that's a, sh- a sign of you're not very tough. Uh, again, it goes back to the next play mentality. Um, we had a girl that we recruited. Uh, I'll never forget it. I, I was watching the game, and she came down. She turned the ball over. It was a horrible play. And uh, But instead of pouting and kind of jogging back, she turned, she sprinted back, took a charge. And to me, that's toughness. That's specifically showing me that you you are mentally tough. Or maybe you do bonk a layup. You, you come down, you bonk a layup, instead of hanging your head or feeling sorry for yourself, you're thinking about your teammates. And that's what I talked about. It's not about you. It's about your team. And if you make a mistake, don't compound it by making another mistake. It's about your team. And, and what can I do for my team to be successful? So When we have mistakes, mental toughness is doing
0: the the next best thing that you can do for your team. Love that. And, uh, you know, just so many things that within your program I can imagine that uh, helps empower your players to be their best version of themselves. And another one is this concept of don't think about the problems, think about solutions, which doesn't just apply to us as coaches, but it's really important for us as coaches. Can you talk about it first from a player's perspective?
1: Well, I just think that, you know, as you go out – as you go through your journey of every season uh, there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be problems and there's going to be negativity. But um, I think it was coach Parcel said that, um, you know, when people get together in small clicks and complain and, you know, complain about their playing time or complain about the coaches or complain about other players, they're not solving anything. You know, to solve things, we got to we got to stay positive And let's figure out how can we how can we solve this versus complain about it, whether you're a player or a coach. And so as a player, what I tell our team, if you don't like your playing time, instead of going and complaining to your parents or to your teammates, come talk to us. So, again, we're being specific. Here's how you handle it. If you're feeling negativity, um, if you don't like your role. Come talk to the coach. We'll sit down. We're going to be really honest with you. But that's how you handle it versus getting small groups and complain. Same thing with coaches. You know, a lot of times coaches will gather and just complain about players. You know, well, are we, we're not fixing anything. So when we meet as a staff, okay, if we're, let's say, um, our transition defense isn't very good, instead of sitting, Sitting around saying, "Well, so and so is doing this, and so so is doing that." No, how are we going to fix it? What do we got to do as coaches and practice to make us a better defensive transition team? Again, it goes back: we got to fix things versus complain about things.
0: Well, it, it reminds me of, uh, and again, I don't know who shared this phrasing originally. Is it is it a problem player, or do they just need to be coached differently? And that's really the point is that we blame the the player for being a problem. But really, we just need to reflect on saying, oh, should we approach them differently?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, we had talked about this, I think, another t- last time I was with you, but, you know, coaching and parenting are the same thing. And I always tell uh, young coaches, especially that, you know, if players were perfect, okay, they wouldn't need coaches. That's why we're here as coaches. We're here to help our players learn and grow. Same thing as parents. If if our kids were all perfect, why would they need parents? You know, and so that's why I feel like, uh, you know, I've raised four kids now and I've got nine grandkids. And I, I tell my own kids, they'll get to complaining about their kids. And I'm like, listen, that's what you're there for. How are you going to fix it? How are you going to teach them? So parenting and, and coaching to me are so similar Um And so that's why I love what I do, because um, we're here to help our players learn and grow and complaining doesn't help anybody, whether you're a parent or a coach. And I realize that time we all have to vent a little bit, but
0: vent and then say, okay, how are we going to how are we going to fix this? Years of experience, but all coaches should be thinking about this, being proactive. You already know what problems can come up. So be proactive with knowing solutions for those problems. And then the other part of this is like handle those. You say handle curveballs, because again, in all your years of coaching, you definitely have had some, some injuries, uncontrollables, some losing seasons, all these different things. So what are some lessons that you've learned in terms of handling some of those ups and downs? Um,
1: so I come from a long line of coaches from my grandpa to my dad to my uncle, my brother. And my very first year of coaching, um, I was playing baseball for the Montreal Expos and it was in the off season. And I got a call from the high school athletic director where I had graduated from. And it was already like two or three weeks into the season. He said, Hey, he goes, Um, I've got a sophomore boys basketball job open. And he said, I've had two coaches quit. And he goes, Is there any way you would do me a huge favor and come coach this group? And I said, I said, well, when's the season going to be over? Because I had to make sure it was done before spring training. And and it all worked out. And he said, I gotta tell you, he goes, all through junior high, they've never won a game. He goes, They they've never won a game. So I took the program over and never coached, never blown a whistle, never called a timeout. And I just remember my dad said, when you have a team or you're going through a season like that, the number one thing you got to do is hold your team together because it's easy to coach when things are going great and you're having a lot of success and everything's going your way. But when, you're, when you've are when you had injuries, you're having a losing season, our number one job, we got to hold our team together because if you don't, your team is just going to go every which way. And so whether it's in college, whether you're in high school, whether you're just taking over a program, number one, you got to hold your team together. You got to keep teaching. Uh, It's an opportunity to teach life lessons because in life, as we all know, it's not always going to go your way. You're going to have adversity. So I just remember my dad saying, teach them life lessons. Uh, And he said, in practice, really focus on player development. Just keep them getting better. And by the end of the year, um, I don't know how we did it because I'm sure I wasn't a very good coach, but I just listened to my dad and and we just really focused on player development. We kept things positive. We kept them working hard. And uh, by the end of the year, we ended up winning three or four games. And you would have thought this group had won a championship. But I've had other years in college uh, uh, when I was a varsity boys basketball coach where Uh, We've been very blessed to win a lot of championships, a lot of great seasons. But when you've been in it as long as I have, every now and then, you are going to have uh, a year where I call it, you're going to get some curveballs. Maybe your best player goes down with an ACL. Uh, Maybe you lose two kids to injuries. They're out for the season. And things don't go the way you planned. Well, again, it goes back to, so how are we going to respond as coaches? If we fall apart, the team's going to fall apart. Whether you're a parent or a coach, the players, your kids are watching, how is the coach, how are the parents going to react in adverse times? So if we hold it together, if we stay positive, that's how they're going to respond. And if you don't hold your team together, you got no hope. Okay. But I've had some seasons where we got off the bad start. But if you hold your team together, if you focus on player development, if you stick together together. You can turn a season around. But if you don't do that, there's no chance.
0: Hey, coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about basketballimmersion.com. Get the most out of yourself and your players. Since 2014, thousands and thousands of coaches have become members of our community. We would love for you to join too, but don't just take our word for it. Listen to what a recent new member told us. I subscribed to Basketball Immersion on Monday. What an awesome site, beats the crap out of Netflix. And here's what a long-term member told us. BDT and eliminating the fluff has been the reason we have become successful as a program. A Basketball Immersion membership has been our secret weapon. What are you waiting for? It's time to next level your players and team. Join our membership community at www.basketballimmersion.com. We look forward to sharing everything with you this circles back to what you started with, which is obviously player led development and getting players to work out on their own. And I love that, that simple fact of just focus on player development. Individually, if players get better, your team will get better. And in those hard seasons, that's a great thing to kind of keep your focus on because it is a controllable. So talk to us a little bit more about UAB player led development. What type of things are happening when you're not in the gym and the players are working to get better on their own?
1: When our when we recruit the kids to UAB, one of the things that we talked to them about that to win championships, you've got to have players that want to be gym rats. They want to they want to live in the gym, work on their on their game outside of our practice time. Um, and I think that a I have the advantage in college. I can recruit those kind of kids. Where in high school, you get what you get. You know, so I I've been in both situations. So, but from a college level. Um, we just talked to our kids about that. If we want to separate ourselves from the teams we're playing, everybody in the country is doing the required hours of practice and skill development. But what are you doing outside? We call it the unseen hours. You know, what are you doing outside to develop and work on your game? And so we've been very fortunate at UAB to, to recruit kids that love to be in the gym. Um, from the high school level, uh, again, I think it goes back to, that's more like motivation, making them want to be in the gym, creating, making it fun. Um, You know, I'm kind of all over Chris, but I think back to my four kids, you know, a lot of times uh, coaches, kids don't play the sport they coach because they get kind of turned off. So my goal was raising my kids. I always wanted it to be fun. And I didn't want them to be like, oh, dad's going to work us out again. I wanted them to say, dad, will you work me out? Well, we've created that same environment at UAB. We have kids come up and say, hey, coach, will you work me out? You know, and so when you can create that kind of culture where they want to be in the gym, they want you to work with them, then you got something special. But again, it goes back to what, what kind of environment are you creating? Are you creating one where they dread to come to practice? Um uh, do they are do they dread being in the gym or do they look forward to coming to practice? When I think back to being a high school coach, we I, and I do the same thing at college, but I wanted our kids excited to come to practice. And I remember there were days I'd see kids sprinting down the steps to get to the locker room to get to practice. Well, that's what you want. Um uh, Something that we do here at UAB, uh, we make it very competitive because kids want to compete. And so everything we do, we we keep score. There's competition. Well, right away, that gets their juices flowing. Well, there'll be times where I'll cut practice off early. Well, and kids would be, no, we want to keep playing. Let's keep playing. Well, then you know you're doing something right when the players are at the college level saying, no, we want to keep going. I'm like, nope, we're done for the day. So it makes them want more. So again, it goes back to what kind of environment are you creating for your
0: team? It's great. It strikes me as from parenting, coaching, leadership position. You're making it seem like their idea. And really, it's just because you've created this environment for them to want to do it. Yeah, exactly uh, talking a little bit deeper about some of the player development stuff, I'm just gonna ask you a few things about some of the things you do. Um I, I know first of all, let's get this out of the way. I know you align very much with teaching out of five on five. So let's talk a little bit about five on five and the value of teaching out of that.
1: Well, it goes back to my uh, my uncle Bob, my dad's brother. When my dad got out of coaching, um I played for him in high school, and he's a Hall of Fame coach. and uh, a lot of people won't even know this name. Ralph Miller was at Iowa at the time and uh, he would go watch his practices. And Ralph believed in uh, teaching the game from a uh, two on two, three on three, four on four into five on five. And he had his drills. He called it his six drills that he had. Uh, But a lot of the teaching came from playing the game. And then, you know, Nowadays, we talk about the small side of games, which I've been doing since I was a high school player, because when I played for my uncle, we played one-on-one, we played two-on-two, we played three-on-three, um, you know, we play on one side of the floor, and I've incorporated that in my 40-year coaching career, is that we, we teach the game uh, by playing the game. Um, I love to teach it from a, a three-on-three, four-on-four, building into the five-on-five, Uh, We'll do specific actions, you know, that you're going to use in your, you know, whether it's uh, maybe we're playing off a down screen or a flare screen or we're playing off a dribble handoff into a pin down. And then we'll take actions that we're going to use in the five on five and then we'll incorporate it into the three on three. I do love one on one. I think that uh, uh, we tried. I got that from uh, my college coach, Lute Olson. Uh, again, a hall of fame coach, we played one-on-one every day. And I think one-on-one teaches kids how to, how to score the basketball. How, and, you know, you can play with one dribble, you can play with two dribbles, you can play with three dribbles. And it th- so I think from an off offensive standpoint, uh, you're learning offensive moves uh, from a defensive standpoint, you're learning how to uh, keep your man in front, how to contest, uh, how to take away that direct line drive. And so there's just so much learning that goes on. And so our practices are are pretty similar every day, uh, from whether it's one-on-one, three-on-three, four-on-four, into five-on-five. The five-on-five is just not like throw the ball out and put 40 minutes on the clock and they run up and down the floor. It might be offense, defense, offense. It might be five trips. It might be stand a make, break on a miss. But there's so much teaching that goes on. And and we talked about this earlier. That's why it's so important that kids understand if you're going to teach this way, um, they have to understand if I'm correcting Chris, that I'm correcting the whole team so that we don't make that same mistake again. So I love our practices. I think that's where championships are are won or in practice. Um, I think if if you organize your practice right, right and run it the right way it makes the game a lot easier to play
0: well and also like everything you've already talked about about building this culture this attitude this mindset all those resiliencies that you build in they're all developed in practice aren't they i mean that's really the main thing it's not a lecture it's practice where you develop those
1: it really is because you know practice is is the coach's time and that's where we get to teach and develop but all your your habits your positive habits your toughness your identity, uh, your style of play, all are taking place in practice. And when you get to the games, you know, I, and there's different coaching styles, but, you know, some coaches think they're, they're telling players there's yelling everything they're supposed to do on the court. The, the, the habits have already been created in practice. So when you get to the game, you've got to trust your players that you've done your job as a coach in practice. And when it gets to the game, it's time to let them play. As coaches, yes, we can make some adjustments, but basketball is a game of reaction. It's a game of habit, and those habits are all created in practice. And when it comes to game time, you got to trust that you've done your job, and then let your players go
0: play. For sure, and uh, sticking with with some of the one on one a little bit, um, some of the different ways you play one on one. I know one of the challenges for coaches is to create realistic closeouts in one-on-one to be able to play against and for both your offense and your defensive development. So I know you have one-on-one gap closeouts, uh, team one-on-one closeouts. Can you talk about some of the different ways you incorporate closeouts into the one-on-ones?
1: Sure. So, um, and it, it varies, you know, every day and sometimes we'll do a whole bunch, but like typically, so we play gap man to man. And so, uh, that we call that just one-on-one operational from the gap. And so they're in the gap, coach and make the pass and then they're playing from a gap one-on-one situation. Typically, I like the three dribble rule. Um, and so and we'll have uh, you know if we just have two baskets that day, we'll have four groups going at a time and so we'll have two groups at each end playing from the gap. And then from there, we might. um, I love team one on one. So let's say you got the green team, you got the gold team. The green team's under the basket. The gold team, let's play from the wing. And so they're in the, they're straddling that midline. Skip passes made. We close out and we'll play from there. And so uh, you'll have the players get to match up defensively on the offense, however they want to match up. And so let's say the gold team's on offense and they've got six players. So they would all get a chance. And then the green team, they'd flip-flop. Gold would go to uh, defense, green would go to offense, and then we'll play on the other side. And then another one-on-one that I love is we'll play from half court. So a uh, coach has the ball at half court. Uh, the defender has their back to the offense. The coach is going to hit the offensive player who's behind half court. When they catch it, the offense is going to score. The defense has got to sprint, turn around, and get a stop, which is, I mean, it happens a lot in basketball where we we got to recover on defense, turn around, got to guard. So those are three ways that we'll play. And then we'll also we'll play out of the post. So we'll play one-on-one out of the post. And that's all positions because guards, forwards, posts, all got to be able to play, whether it's a closeout gap uh, from half court are in the post. So we try to incorporate all of those into our one-on-one.
0: And I've seen the team one-on-one a few times over the years, and you know I'm a time-on-task coach, active learning time, and kind of in, in a way, and I know you're a teacher, so in a way it takes away from that, but the value trumps that because everyone's together and you talked about creating that environment, creating that attitude, that really does help create a competitive mindset for your players, doesn't it? It really does, and uh, you know, we
1: don't do it every day, but sometimes we'll have, uh, the we've got the green team for the day. we got the gold team for the day and we'll incorporate the one-on-one, uh, the three-on-three it's always green versus gold and we'll keep score for everything. And then we'll have a grand total at the end, green, gold. And so you're getting points. And so if, if you're, if you feel like your team is, uh, it's not high energy. They're not competing. It's up to us coaches. Well, okay, how can we create that? And I feel like if you, if you make things competitive and you're keeping score, then the juices get flowing and they really compete. And what I, what I love about our practices, our girls really get after each other when you're keeping score. If you just go out and just practice and that can get boring, but when you when you put score up there and there, and there, there's going to be a winner and a loser and there's consequences. Maybe it's uh, you know, some days we might say you got a sprint for every point you lose by. Well, it makes every possession count. So we want every possession to count in a game. So you got to incorporate things in practice. How can we make every single possession count, offense and
0: defense? Th- that goes back to being a surgeon or being a pilot, right? Everything's got to count or otherwise something bad's happening exactly. ATD, attention to details
1: and everything that we do, everything's a carryover. So with our with our players, we always talk to we want to pursue excellence uh, in the classroom, on the court, out in the community, and in our personal lives. And we're trying to create these habits because After coaching for 40 years and and raising four children, uh, everything carries over. You can't uh, not give 100% effort in the classroom and then think on the court you're going to, because sooner or later, the habits that you're creating are going to leak over. So we want our kids pursuing excellence in all four areas. And then in practice, we want every possession to count. We want them to have attention to detail
0: and understand that everything matters. Everything's going to carry over. I know the answer already, but I don't think we talk about it enough on the podcast because we all talk about competition, competition, which is obviously important, but are there times where we should remove competition from practice? And then if so, can you give us some examples of those times? I think when
1: you're, I think when you're teaching the whole part of something, I mean, you're, I'm not going to have competition there. I think anytime you're You're breaking things down and you're in a a teaching mode. That's where we're teaching, we're explaining, we're experimenting. Uh, But then once you understand and the kids understand, okay, they know what's expected of them, then I think that's when you compete. When you're in the teaching mode and you're explaining things, I want them to understand first. And I think if you're trying to compete when you're teaching, sometimes it takes away from the teaching. So I want them to understand the difference.
0: It makes sense. And uh, I know another area where you, you talk about is is some of these different shooting drills that you do because you're big on your players getting a ton of shots up. And I'm wondering, is that in the body of practice or is that in separate type of sessions where you want them to get a whole bunch of these shots and competitive drills, but also the form shooting and different things?
1: So uh, in, the, in our summer, we've got the eight hours, our preseason, we only get eight hours. So our individual work, is is just a lot of skill work a lot of motion breakdown stuff and so they'll get their shots up outside of practice now that we're in the 20 hour um, our coaches we have them come in shooting groups and they'll shoot for 30 minutes now they still get their shots up within our practice but we are very specific on the shots we're working on when they come in in small groups and we do that every day i the game of basketball is so much easier when you put the ball in the hole, and the only way you're going to become a great shooter, you, you've got to put in the reps. And it's it's amazing to watch when kids come in as freshmen. I just I call them young shooters because they a lot of them haven't had the reps by their junior year. To just watch them shoot compared to their freshman year, it's just amazing the improvement over those two or three years. And their shots are grooved, they're confident, their footwork is great. But you've got to put in that time. And again, it, as coaches, we can't just say, uh, you need to get more shots up. Okay, that's it's too generic. We need to be specific. What kind of footwork are we working on? What kind of shots do you need to work on? We want all of our players to be three-level scorers. Um, you know, we want to build be, be knocked out. And this is all 15 players. I don't care what position you are. I want everybody to be a knockdown three-point shooter. I want everybody to be able to get to the rim. And we still work on the mid-range game. And I know a lot of people don't believe in the mid-range game. But I think
0: that if you can score at all three levels, you just become a more effective scorer. And uh, if if you're a high school coach and you don't have some of these multiple sessions, what of your shooting situations or drills would you take out and put into that high school practice where you know they're not getting extra time, extra shots?
1: So when I was a high school coach, there's a couple different things that we did. So in our practice at high school, a lot of times we only got 90 minutes. So what we would do is we'd have our kids come in in the morning before school. Okay, And whether it's free throws or shooting drills, we just take thirty minutes before school started. Um, and th- high school's different in college. A lot of your kids aren't as motivated as college players are. So as a coach, what am I going to do to want w- to get the kids to want to be there in the morning at six thirty in the morning? Well, I would bring in donuts. i'd um you know, I'd bring them breakfast. I'd try to cr- I'd have music crank for them in the morning just to. To create an environment where they wanted to be there and they felt special. Um, but if you, let's say you can't get in in the morning at the high school level, you have to take time for shooting. I mean, you know, drills are great and everything, but you've got to take time for shooting. And so I think as a high school coach, it, it can be really challenging because you're so limited on your time. So you've got to, your, your practice has got to be detailed and you got to decide what's important. At the college level, we get, you know, we just get so much more time. We've got so much more gym space. Um, we have the luxury of, you know, a practice gym and an arena, and we've got so many coaches on our staff. So there's a difference, but you can still get the job done at high school and college. It's just
0: you have to do it in different ways. Coach, well, let's let's give them some of those shooting drills. Uh, why don't you describe who's your shooting to us?
1: So who's your shooting is where uh, they got to make two in a row from each of the five three-point spots, okay? Once they've done that, there's and there's uh, two minutes on the clock, okay? So you gotta make two in a row from each of the five three-point spots. Then you go to the top of the key. Now you record how many uh, threes you make in that two-minute time. Um, we've had kids get anywhere from 21 to 25 typically. Uh, Some kids don't make it at all, you know, but it's a a good challenge. It's something that uh, we record and and they all know who has made the most. They know what the record is and things like that. So, again, it's competitive for everyone.
0: Streak shooting. So
1: streak shooting, okay, again, we got the uh, five three-point spots. And you're keeping track of how many you make in a row. If you miss at that, so let's say you start in the right corner. I make three in a row, and then I miss. Now you got to go to the next spot. Let's say at the next spot you miss right away. Well, now you go to the next spot. And then it's a total of all the shots from the five spots. So if you were to miss at the corner, miss at the wing, miss at the top, miss at the wing, miss in the corner, you get zero. But So whatever you make from those five spots before you miss, that's your total. Great. 50-point shooting, Coach. 50-point shooting is where we're competing. So, Chris, you and I are competing against each other. And it starts off, you have to make a three, okay? And that's where three. Once you make the three, now it goes uh, to the right, pull up. To the left, pull up. Three-point shot. To the right, to the left, three-point. And whoever gets the 50 first wins that competition,
0: and I love this one. This brings back to memories. Beat the pro. Beat the pro. I love this.
1: And I did this with my kids a lot. Um, so I, you pick out. So I'll ask a player. And this is something that we do more in the off season. You know, uh, we don't do this so much during the season. But beat the pro is, let's say I'm playing LeBron James. And uh, so you're playing one-on-one. And every time you make a shot, it's it's if I make a three, It's three points for me. And we're going to 21, okay? If I miss a three, that's three for LeBron. If I do a pull-up and make it, that's two for me. But if I miss it, that's two for LeBron. So if I get to 21 first, I beat LeBron. If LeBron gets to 21
0: first, he beats me. Coach, this has been awesome. So many nuggets here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different perspective, but let's talk a little bit from you being 40 years in coaching, an older coach coaching young people, what are some challenges? What are some solutions? What are some things that have helped you be so successful?
1: Well, so again, six years as a sophomore boys coach, fourteen years as a varsity boys coach, and now twenty years as a division one women's coach, and my tenth as a head Division one women's coach. I think wherever you're at, it's all about who you surround yourself with. Um, for me personally, at the college level, I surround myself with people that are loyal. I can trust them, uh, they're high energy. Uh, they maybe have strengths that I don't where they can compliment me. Um, I think we're only as good as the people we surround ourselves with. So Taryn Martin, who's our associate head coach, uh, I've known her since she was 21 years old. When we took over the Illinois State job, uh, she was our senior point guard. She stayed on at Illinois State uh, for for six more years. We went to Mizzou. She took over a Division three head job. And then when I came to UAB, I brought her in as the associate head coach. She's amazing. So she has the ability to connect with young females. I'm 63 years old, and so uh, she's just outstanding with team building and uh, player development, and she just does an amazing job with that. I think it's important that we can't do it all ourselves it's not all about me it, the whole the whole thing that we got to look at as a head coach is what is it what's best for our players and then you want to hire coaches that are going to help you be your best and team be their best
0: absolutely a big part of it and uh, you've done a tremendous job coach we can't wait for your next 40 years in coaching you bet no i you know i love what i do
1: chris i you know i always ask young coaches you know, do you know your why? What's your purpose? We ask our players that too. and the the two things you got to ask yourself, what are you passionate about and what are you good at? And if you can answer those two things, like yourself, I mean, you're I, I love following what you do. you're you're passionate about what you do and you love it. and that's your purpose. You've you know, same for me. that my purpose is I love coaching basketball, but I love impacting lives through basketball.
0: Well, thank you for sharing with us. Uh, just tremendous. And uh, we look forward to following you uh, throughout the rest of your career and the rest of the season. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Coach, thanks for listening to the Basketball Podcast. We appreciate your ongoing support. Please consider going to basketballimmersion.com and immersionvideos.com to check out all the products we have to offer. We appreciate your support and we look forward to continuing to share the game with you.